Well, good morning, Village Church East. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's good to see you this morning. My name is Craig Jarvis. I am the lead pastor here at Village Church East, and I get to bring you uh, a glimpse into God's Word this morning, which I'm very excited about. This could be, uh, I told the, the pre-service crew that this could be the best message I've ever done. So uh, I say that every Sunday, just in case you're wondering, and, uh, and they all are the best messages I've ever done. But this one I'm really excited about. But before I begin, are we recording? Tell me we're recording. <clears throat> I have to do so. I have to, I have to humble myself in an enormous amount of, of, uh, of uh, humility here uh, with you this morning. So here, here's the thing. When we started this Vision Sunday, you remember I gave you an illustration of the glasses that I used to wear when I was a little kid. Do you remember that? And I thought I looked like uh, this. Yeah, you remember that? <clears throat> For those of you that are listening online, Mom, I have a picture of uh, uh, Chris Helmsworth up there. So the reason I need to humble myself before you is because of my mother. <laughs> Every once in a while, my mom will get online and she will hear the messages that I do. Now, she doesn't hear all of them, so I get away with quite a few things. However, on this Sunday, if you were here, you remember that I made fun of the, the glasses that my mom and my dad bought me when I was a kid. I might have said something like, they look like Coke bottles, they must have been a two-for-one deal, you know, those, those kinds of things. I don't know if you remember this, but my mother did. And she called me and she said, Craig... You used me as an illustration for this Sunday, and I want you to know those were expensive glasses. So again, I tell you, I really do think I did look a little like this back then. But, um, but anyway, she, she wanted me to make sure that you knew if the glasses, let me sure I get this right, Mom. If the glasses broke, it's because she would get me new glasses, and then I would break them immediately the next day. And if they were taped up, it's because I was at fault for breaking the glasses, and uh, so anyway, all of that to tell you, my parents have treated me very well my entire life. <laughs> they have always got me the very best of everything. And when we went glasses shopping, they got things always off the top shelf. So I was, uh, I was foolish in uh, making fun of my parents. And so now that's all taken care of. Good? We good, Mom? Okay, super duper. Uh, now back... back. Back to the back to the uh, issues of the day. We've been we've been talking about uh, vision statement, and uh, I wanted to take these four weeks, this four week chunk, and talk to you about what makes Village Church East unique. There are uh, there's a vision and value statement actually that I will be going over in class today uh, in the belong class. If you have 45 minutes and you'd like to jump in with us, uh, we are going to be doing that class today. I'm extremely excited about it. Uh, and you will get to know a little bit more, and you get to ask some questions about some of the things that we've been talking about. But the, the, vision, the vision for our church, the, the, val- the vision for our church is built on the values that we have. And the values that we have are built on the unchanging gospel, but put into a context that is modern day. And so we have come up with this statement, uh, six different things that make Village Church East unique. And so there are here up on, on the screen. I'm just going to jump through them real quick because we've covered most of them. We are, we're a team-building church. We already talked about that one. We're a digital church. That's today. We're going to be talking about that one. We're a family church. Uh, we talked about that one. Everyone has family here. We are a servant leadership church. We talked about that one. That means everybody has a space here. Everybody can use their gifts here. We are a what-if church. 
We're going to be talking about, or we, we talked about that one last week. Uh, that's the idea that with God all things are possible, and we believe that God can use us in amazing ways no matter uh, where we are. But because we're in Carol Stream, uh, we believe God has us here for a purpose. So what if God could do something great with us, and we believe that? And number six, we are So What Church, and we're going to be talking about that today as well. So What and Digital Church are the topics of the day. This one I'm particularly excited about, uh, maybe even more than the others, just a little bit, because it really, uh, it really rings my bell in a lot of ways. Um, but the main way is, I am a student of culture. I love reading up on culture, I love seeing culture, and you may not know this, but we are, we are in a culture shift we can, you can look back on history and see the ways that culture has developed and how it has given life um, or taken life away from the generations where those cultures thrived. You may not know this, but we are in the middle of a transitional stage in culture. We don't even know what to call it yet. Some people call it postmodernism. There's different words for the transition that we're in. But you never really get to understand what culture you live in, unfortunately, um, until you look back on it. And this culture that we're living in, if you feel like it's changing and it's hard to keep up, it's because we are in a transitional stage. There are certain things that have inundated our lives that have never... Hang on a second. That, hang on a second, Josh. Yeah, take her off the screen there a second. Thank you. Um, there are certain things that have inundated our lives that we have never had before. Uh, if I were to ask you how many of you had a microwave when you were growing up, a lot of us have n- didn't have microwaves. Nobody had a, Everybody thought, oh, if I were Michael Knight and I had a phone with me wherever I went, or if I had a car that could drive itself, welcome to 2020. All of this is taking place. We are a computerized generation. Nobody had computers in the 70s, in the 80s. Uh, we are we are a, a, a digital generation. We we are we are in the middle of a tr- transitional. You can pay for stuff on your phone, on your watch, and and for for those of you that are younger, you're going, yeah, that's that sounds normal. You need to understand we are in the middle of a transitional phase. So for you, you're you're on the back end of it. For some of us, we're in the middle of it, and for others of us, we're, we're like. I wish I could go to the airport and not take my shoes off anymore. Things have changed in this culture, and we're in the middle of the change. So I want to show you some pictures. Don't show them yet. I want to show you some pictures. And be- <laughs> Thank you, Josh. And before I show them to you, I want to, build- I want to-, I want to just kind of set you up for them, okay? So here's what I want you to think, all right? I have no bias in any of these photos. You'll understand why they're up here in just a minute. I'm going to show you some photos, and to prepare you, some will give you an immediate emotional reaction. You probably already had it because one of them snuck up there early, right? Okay. What I want you to do is monitor how these photos make you feel. All right, let her rip, Josh.
All right. Some questions. Now, I know that was a long period, but I, I wanted to run this kind of as a uh, kind of as a test to see how things would go with you. For me, the best reaction I had was when that Tesla was up there. That's a really nice car, isn't it? But there's a lot of photos that showed up, and they're still up there now, that give you an immediate emotional reaction. So here's my two questions. Number one, why did these photos make you react involuntarily in some way? Now, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, because of this reason or this reason or that. Now, you should know whatever reaction you had to one or more of these photos, somebody in this room had exactly the opposite reaction to the same photo. They've done all the research as well. They've listened to all the talking heads on the news. They've made the decisions where they will stand on all of these issues. And no matter what issue you saw up here, whether it was global warming, or what, I'm sorry, climate change, I can't keep up with what we call it now, um, or, uh, or the Antifa, or ripping up the, the, the uh, speech, um, all of those photos gave you some sort of an initial emotional reaction, but they gave somebody else in the same room the opposite reaction. And they've done all the research like you have. But they have landed in a different spot regarding those photos, regarding those issues. And here's the bottom line. God loves them as much as he loves you. Second question. What do all these photos have in common? What does a Tesla have to do with no war in Iran? Or homeless in San Francisco have to do with um, LGBTQ rights. What do all these photos have in common? The answer is this. They are all cultural issues in our world today. Like it or not, this is the culture in which you have been dropped. What is culture? Simply put, culture is a thing that permeates every corner of our lives. Wendell Pierce said it this way, culture is the intersection of people and life itself. It's how we deal with life, love, death, birth, disappointment. All that is expressed is culture. Lord Relgan said it this way, culture, I like this one, culture is roughly anything we do and monkeys don't. (laughs) Culture is the driving force that leads a group of people to find and defend their identity. Culture influences everything in life. Gandhi said it this way, a nation's culture resides in the hearts and souls of its people. Everything you say, everything you do, everything you believe is influenced by the culture in which you live. Everything you eat, every garment you wear, everything you do is influenced by your culture. You do it, you think it, you believe it, you follow it, Because culture has impacted your life and you are following culture. I'll give you one illustration. In the 70s, I was really glad when bell bottoms were gone. Who was glad when bell bottoms were gone? Weren't they the most ugly? Well, next to parachute pants, but they were the the worst thing in the world, right? Can't touch this. So, So now... Culture has said bell bottoms are back. And now the kids are wearing bell bottoms or the mom jeans, you know? The kids are wearing the mom jeans now. And it's like, 
where did this happen? I want to tell you, culture said at some point, we're going to have those back. And now we raise a generation of children up to say, I love bell bottoms. And the rest of us are going, oh no. Culture changes through time. And it changes with space and it changes with time. Geography. Some of the practices that consume us in our geography today mean nothing half a world away. Different cultures. Time. Within 10 years, culture will change again. In 10 years, you'll have to navigate some new issues that seek to create identity for the next generation. I mean, how many of you thought you would seriously navigate some of the issues you have to navigate now when you were 10 years ago? Culture will give you the hill that you must die on. They'll stick it in the media. They'll put it in the news. They'll create a generation that comes up to judge you for the way you thought 10, 20, 30 years ago. And they'll demand that you apologize for who you were and become who they are. That is culture. The younger generation will judge always the one before for how they behave in that generation. And I got to tell you, in some way, our generation will be judged by the next one. And I got to tell you, all of you kids, you're going to be judged by your, the generation that comes after you. Every generation thinks they do it right. But culture demands what we think, who we are, what we defend. Here's the sad truth. Most people are led unknowingly by their culture. Most people are victims of their culture, and they don't even know it. They don't have a compass with true north on it with which to navigate their lives. They are led by desires, emotions, and dictations of others as to how they should process life, and even presuppositions as to how the other side thinks. We live in a culture now who believes that they have a handle not only on what they believe, but on what people who don't believe what they believe believe. We are in a culture now where thoughts are being judged, not just actions. And worst of all, in this culture, the loudest voices win. Here's a cautionary tale for you. Without solid footing, culture can wrap up people in emotional knots, trying to keep up with how they should think and what they should do. And if you don't believe that, you've never been on Facebook. This present culture is deprived of subtleties. Everything is big, everything is loud, everything is demanded. Anger is elevated, intimacy has been replaced with an LCD screen. So, that's my short spiel on culture. But, since culture changes with geography and time, let me ask you this question. What was Jesus' culture like? Interesting, right? His culture was different in a lot of ways. Jesus lived in a culture where who was in charge? Rome. Rome was in charge. Were they a wonderful governmental structure wherewith you could live under and enjoy? No. Rome, Rome was a bit of a stiff hand on its people. They stole taxes, they abused people, and every once in a while they killed people that they didn't like. Rome ruled the world. In addition to that, 
in Jesus' day, there was a group of people who were not only political leaders, but they were religious leaders. So the people of that culture were being oppressed, not just by the political leaders, but also by the religious leaders. These were led by four main groups, Pharisees, Zealots, Essenes. These were people that would keep the, the, the population under control. Was this culture that Jesus lived in worldwide? No, only in the civilized world. There were no Pharisees, for instance. Uh, There were differences. There were no Pharisees, Essenes. There was none of those in what we know now as Europe. But they were centralized to Jesus' culture. And if you exited that continent and went to this continent, which they didn't know anything about at the time, the culture was tremendously different as well. But in Jesus' day, in his culture, in the Middle East, in Israel... The culture in 30 AD was in the middle of a bomb going off. It was in a transitional period as well, just like ours is today. And this transition was being created by one individual. Now, this blows me away. Who was the one individual that was transforming culture? Jesus Christ. He was uprooting everything people knew about their culture. With that in mind... Let's go back to the same passage of Scripture, the same incident that we've been discussing for the last couple of weeks. Let me bring up to speed Luke 5, 17, if you have your Bibles or your LCD screen. Uh, If you'd like to turn to Luke 5 and verse 17, here's where we're going to start. On one of those days as he was teaching, that's Jesus, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was on Jesus to heal. Jesus is in the middle of a changing culture. The Pharisees don't want it to change. Rome definitely doesn't want it to change. They're trying to keep the people where they need them to be. But Jesus is one of the formidable powers that was changing culture. And people were trying to discredit him. They were following him around. The ones who had the authority, the ones who had the power, the ones who ruled the media. They were trying to discredit Jesus Christ because they knew he was a threat to their culture. Pharisees were one of the four groups, and they were gathered here this day to watch Jesus. They held the population in captivity to their authority, and they were afraid to lose their power. Verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in. Remember this story? It's great. Because of the crowd, it was so crowded, they went up to the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Now, we've already talked about this story, and we found out that This is a great story for helping us understand what we want our church to be. We want them to know, our church wants everybody to know they have a space here. They have a family here. They can find hope here. But today I want to talk about this this in relation to culture. Church, Village Church East, I'm talking to us together. Our culture should know we are here. Our culture should not be mistaken. They should not be able to miss us. We need to impact culture. They need to know we are here. Now, in Jesus' day, these friends didn't know it, but they would be a part of a movement that would change culture for all of history. They had no idea what this little step of faith 
would accomplish. They had no idea that in 2020, I would be telling their story. And yet I am. These four friends or five friends or how many of they had, had to be a good amount of friends unless they're all like built like Arnold. They, had to have, they all had to be uh, carrying this pallet with this guy that could not move up to the roof. Tear the roof apart, vandalism. Lower their friend down and hope to God that Jesus could heal him. And Jesus is about to use their faith as a Lego piece to construct a new culture built on truth and the gospel. So here's what happens in verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. I love that. You remember last week we said, they dropped him down and their hope was that because Jesus was who he said he was and they believed it in faith, they hoped that he could heal their friend. But he did better than that. If Jesus was truly the son of God, Jesus had the power to forgive sins. And instead of giving this guy the gift of walking again, which would go away as soon as he croaked, kicked the bucket, bought the farm, he gives him the gift of eternal life. Jesus changes culture one person at a time. The application of the gospel is what changes minds and hearts. It is Minds and hearts are the driving forces of culture, and the gospel is meant, built on Jesus Christ, to impact minds, hearts, and lives. The gospel is built on Jesus being the Son of God, who lived, died, and rose again for one purpose, to forgive the sins of the world. I mentioned this passage before, and I want to do it again. If you don't know this one, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4 is a great one to know, because it puts the gospel in such a succinct, easy-to-understand, simplistic form. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he reminds them of the gospel and he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance. This is first importance, the most important thing. I delivered to you as of first importance what also I received, and here it is, the gospel, that Christ died. Why did he die, church? Jesus didn't die to show us a good example. He didn't die to show us what humility was like. He didn't die because he wanted to show us uh, you know, what, what it means to be a true servant. That's all baloney. Jesus came for the purpose of dying for our sins. His death was the most powerful thing that ever happened on this planet. Because when Jesus died, he shed innocent blood that had the power to forgive. Not just my sin, not just your sin, but the sins of everybody past present, and future. The gospel is about who Jesus is and what he came to do. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And if that was it, that would be no good. But he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Why did Jesus die? He died to forgive our sins so that our sins could be eradicated. Why did he rise again, church? He rose again to show us jobs done. Sin brings death. Jesus conquered sin. Jesus rises from the dead. Death has no power over Jesus Christ. The forgiveness that he offers is greater than the sin he died for. The gospel is about who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. It is the truth about how we should think and live in this life. The gospel is the sole central focus of 
history. In fact, I love that we call it history because if you break the word down, it simply means his story. History is about Jesus Christ. It's always meant to be that way from the beginning of time. We know this. We know that the gospel is is the truth about how we should think and live in this life because of the questions the Pharisees and the scribes ask immediately after. Jesus looks down at this paralytic and says, dude, you've got some great friends. Those guys have incredible, they think I am the son of God. And because of that, I'm going to give them a gift. I'm focusing completely on you and I'm telling you, your sin's gone. The guys up on the roof are going, sweet, his sins are gone. We're going to be with Jimmy, Sammy, whatever his name is, you know. We're going to be with him for all eternity. Well, the scribes and the Pharisees that were gathered there to find fault with Jesus Christ had a major issue with this. And they said, wait a second, wait, 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 wait. wait. Nobody can forgive sins, but who, church? Uh-huh. And they're right. Verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees began to question and said, who is this that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Can you see them hanging on to their power? Can you see them fighting against the culture that Jesus is trying to introduce? Verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, what are you questioning in your hearts? Let me ask you a question. Oh, he's just, he's toying with them. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven you, because my first question is, prove it. Rise and walk, that's hard to argue with, right? Prove to me your sins are forgiven. That's hard to do. Verse 24. But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to do what I just did, to forgive all sins. Jesus did the lesser of the jobs. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your crummy little bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. The truth of Jesus' ability to forgive sins is the heart of the gospel story. These friends believed it, Heavily enough, strongly enough to follow through with dumping their friend in front of Jesus Christ. They risked it all so that their friend could see Jesus because they believed the truth about who Jesus was and that he was, a, he was an agent of change in the culture. He was an agent of change for every culture. Their faith drove them to extreme lengths to show it. Now, Craig, you're, you're probably thinking to yourself, you're probably thinking, well, Craig, where is culture in this story. Isn't this just a good story about a guy getting healed who had a couple of good buddies willing to take a risk? I want to tell you these friends were part of a change that Jesus wreaked upon a stagnant and oppressive culture. Jesus came into this world to insert truth that would be difficult to ignore. These friends took the time to honestly and humbly ask themselves, is Jesus who he claims to be? Or is it just a fairy tale? 
Is Jesus just a good teacher, just a good prophet, just, just like somebody from the Old Testament, another Jeremiah, or, or maybe another Elijah? Or is he really the Son of God with the power to forgive sins? Is that who Jesus is? And they chose to believe it in faith. They pl- chose to believe that Jesus was the culture changer sent from God. And because of their faith and many others that had similar faith, the culture of truth began to take root. Do you know what happened in the next verse? I haven't read this to you yet. I've been saving it for just a moment like this. Verse 26, here's what it says. An amazement seized them all. And they, what did they do, church? They glorified God. They were filled with awe. And they said, we have seen amazing, extraordinary things today. You know what that tells me? The Pharisees knew culture was changing and it scared them to death. They had a handle on the power of the day. They had people following their lead. They were the culture creators. They were the talking heads. They, with the loudest voices, told the people what to think and how to live, and the people followed like sheep behind them. Jesus was a real threat to their authority. He was a rebel in their minds. So if you go to the next chapter in verse 11, you can see how they felt. This is all the people in the house. These are the sheep. The sheep are going, Jesus is great. Holy smoke, something something great is happening to us. There's something going on today. But the Pharisees who had the power, they felt a little different. In verse 11 of chapter 6, here's how they felt. They were filled with what church? Fury. Have you ever been filled with fury before? Not you guys, but okay, I have been filled with fury before. Like just about every day I drive on the, the road and somebody's in the left lane that's going slower than everybody else in the right lane. Filled with fury. These guys were filled with fury and they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. You know why, church? Because they love the approval of man more than the approval of God. They didn't take time to humbly ask themselves the question, could Jesus be who he says he is? They never took the time to ask themselves that. They never were humble enough to do that. Is Jesus a culture changer sent by God? In fact, listen church, none of the politicians did. When Jesus showed up in front of Pilate, Pilate, these guys, these guys were Jewish. Pilate was not Jewish. Pilate, Pilate was a guy that was under Roman Roman jurisdiction shows up before Pilate. Right before he's crucified, Jesus said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Church, I want you to let let that sink in. Everyone who is of the truth, church, everyone who is of the truth listens to whose voice, church? It's really simple. Everyone who is of truth listens to Jesus' voice. You know what Pilate said to Jesus? I bet you do because it's right up on the screen. He looks at Jesus, the very truth of God, the very truth of life, 
the real culture injector. He looks at truth in the eyes and he says, what is truth? Listen, we live in a generation that asks this question every single day. This describes every culture that is led around by the nose with the loudest, by the loudest voices and the people with the most to lose. This describes every culture that doesn't get a say in what's happening because they are fearful or they are scared of being ostracized or they are timid enough or not strong enough in their faith. This describes every culture that doesn't have true north on their compass. They're led around by the loudest voices and the people with the most power to lose. Pilate looked at Jesus and he said, and you can see the fear in this because Pilate has to answer to Rome. If he can't keep control of these Jewish people, he's out. He looks at Jesus and he says, what is truth? That intentional blindness and refusal of humility drove Pilate and the crowd to kill the truth teller. It is these guys, you can read it in all the Gospels, it is these guys that drove the crowd to cry out, crucify Jesus Christ. Now remember where we started. Without solid footing, culture can wrap people up in emotional knots trying to keep up with how they should think and what they should do. And too often, culture, people, sheep, listen to the loudest voices coming from those who have the most to lose. But it's my firm belief, and it is this church's belief, that Jesus came here to take on culture. Every culture, every continent, every geographical location, and every time period. Jesus Christ came to inject the truth about life into every culture that tells lies about life. The longest sermon we have from Jesus Christ, do you know what it is? Longest sermon we have from Jesus Christ is the Sermon on the Mount. Do you know how the Sermon on the Mount concludes? I bet you do. You may not know this, but it's a great illustration. Jesus was the formidable communicator. And he finishes the Sermon on the Mount with a simple illustration. I want to read to you his conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what he says. After telling people, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Does that not sound like somebody challenging culture? You have heard it said, but I'm telling you this. Haven't you read already in the Old Testament? Why are you not following this? All through the Sermon on the Mount, this is it. Starts with the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who who are persecuted. All of these things. And then he goes, and, and then he says, you're in a culture that's telling you one thing. I want to tell you the truth. And then he finishes the Sermon on the Mount with this illustration. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, church, will be like a what What person? A wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against the house. But it did what, church? It did what? It did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house 
on sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Do you know what he's saying there, church? He's saying your life has got to be built on some sort of a foundation. Because culture will come at you with everything it has. It will demand you think this way about this subject and that way about that subject. And if you don't, it will regulate your life. It will tax you. It will penalize you. It will ostracize you. It will hurt you. This is not something new. This is culture. And if you feel like you don't fit into culture sometimes, that's normal. Because if you build your house on the rock, you're building your house, your life, on the truth of Jesus Christ. You are in a society, you are in a culture that is not used to that. You are sitting, walking, working with, dwelling with, you are friends with people who built on sand and they don't understand what it means to build on the rock. Popular culture is a storm that beats on every life of every individual ever born and unless your life is built on the rock that cannot be moved, you will change with culture. What culture demands, you will do. You will make every demand culture demands of you. That is why when you get on Facebook, it's like, What new topic are we going to fight about today? Because culture will say to you, we're going to fight on this topic. Here's how you must think. Fight. That is a horrible way to live. But that is how most people live. Our church is committed to be a force that forms culture, not not one that is formed by culture. Let me say that one more time. Our church is committed to be a church that forms culture, not one that is formed by culture. One of our values at VCE is simply this. Everyone should know we are here. And we say this two ways. One truth, that is the gospel, lived out in many ways, we believe can change culture. One truth lived out in many ways can change culture. So that's why we're a digital church. At Village Church, it is our priority to invade people's personal digital lives. Isn't that awesome? With digital, shareable, and helpful disciple-making content, the digital frontier is the emerging front line of ministry, insert culture, and we will fully engage in this arena in many ways. The phrase we use here is, we create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who go, grow, and overcome. Every time you leave the church, you'll see that on our sign. Go, grow, and overcome. Now, here's the thing. You may look at this and you may say, Craig, I don't like how technology is changing our culture. Yeah, neither do I. I can't keep up with it. i got to learn a new app every week. It's like, oh, come on. And you know it's been made by some uh, 20-year-old in his mother's basement. I've got to temper the things that I say. But I do not want to learn new apps every single week. And it's hard for me to keep up. And we may fight against the fact that we live in a digital culture. But church, we do. It is the language they speak So we must speak the language of our generation. Facebook is the bane of my existence, but it is my commitment to redeem Facebook. All 50 million users on there. I do that by not posting hate. I do not post judging voices. 
I post things of love and grace. I tell the truth and I put up hopeful posts and comment regularly on the gospel. I insert Jesus into a swamp. I gave up on Twitter a while ago. Oy. My goal is to speak the language of my culture, to insert the gospel of Jesus Christ and give them hope. Yeah. The sad thing is, church, it is through these mediums that the people with the most to lose tell this generation what they must believe. We must learn to speak the language of the culture so that we insert truth where there are lies. The second thing I want to tell you this morning is this. One truth lived out in many people can change culture. Not just one church lived out in many ways, digital ways, LCD screens, but one truth lived out in many people can change culture, which brings me to the idea that we are a so what church. It's one of my favorite. At the Village Church, we directly challenge cultural lies. We are not afraid of that. I may end up in jail at some point, actually, but I will not back down from it. At Village Church, we will directly tackle all relevant cultural issues and how they intersect with Scripture. Our desire is to help people develop a cohesive and thoughtful worldview that allows them to process an ever-changing world with the unchanging Word of God. The phrase goes like this, we put the culture on trial, the culture does not put us on trial. The church puts the culture on trial, Culture does not put the church on trial. The second part of this is we are committed to releasing culture-creating disciples. Don't you love that? I'll say it one more time. We are committed to releasing culture-creating disciples. At Village Church, we support and encourage every Bible teacher to communicate the so-whats of Scripture compellingly and without compromise. If you're coming to church and you're thinking to yourself, I'm getting some stuff out of church because it seems a little more practical, it's because of this. Because we want to let you know the gospel is meant to change lives in 2020. And if, and if you're not getting that, we're not doing our job well enough. From teaching children in children's ministry to teaching adults from the pulpit or the platform, our desire is not just to form intelligent church goers, but to release discerning disciples who would change their microcultures for the sake of Jesus Christ. I have met a lot of intelligent church goers and they bore me to death. Because if your knowledge of Jesus Christ is not impacting your life and those around you, your faith is dead. And you are a boring person. But if you can communicate the depths of God's word in ways that can change lives, you might like it here. We do not need to rewrap the gospel. We do not need to reinvent church. It's fine like it is. It stands on its own. The gospel is strong, powerful. We just seek to keep the church and the gospel pure and live it out so we can change culture. We want to create discerning disciples who grow accustomed to putting the, the culture on trial. I give you this verse out of 1 Peter 5. The Bible says it this way, be sober-minded. Do you know what it means to be sober-minded? Think deeply about this. Be sober-minded. Take this seriously. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Have you ever met somebody who is watchful? 
Uh, maybe better this way. Have you ever met somebody that is a little absent-minded, not watchful, right? When you're, my illustrations always go to the car. When you're driving a car and you see somebody pull out in front of you and going, that guy's not paying attention to what he's doing, right? That's not watchful. The Bible says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Why? Because you have an enemy, an adversary, and the greatest stunt Satan ever pulled was to, was to convince the world he does not exist. The Bible says he does. Jesus talked to him. Jesus talked about him. You should know, if you believe in Jesus and you believe he's sane, Jesus thought Satan was real, and I do too. The Bible says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking somebody to cuddle up with and caress and love on. Right? Seeking somebody to what? Have you ever been so hungry you devoured something? I mean, it's like, give me more, more, more. Right? Satan wants to devour your life. Seeking somebody to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in your, in your faith. One man changed the culture of his day. And it was Jesus Christ. Christianity began with him. It, be, it, it took root with him. He preached the simple truth of the Old Testament. He changed the world in which he lived and changed the culture in which he lived. And within 300 years, that religion, Christianity, would be the religion of Roman Empire. The Roman Empire that began to kill people for their Christianity. It became the religion of the empire. This church has been sustained by those influenced by Jesus Christ. And the church is still alive today. Now you might say to me, well Craig, one person can't make that kind of change in this culture. Oh, are you there? Have you, have you gone that far down this pit? What do you do with the Reformation began by Martin Luther, who changed culture? What do, you, what do you do with the influence of Christianity to birth a new nation called the United States of America, birthed by pilgrims who were dedicated to following God and His Word? What do you do with somebody like Rosa Parks or Martin Luther King? What do you do with these people? When somebody says to you, Craig, I just don't have the power to change culture. Hey, you, you don't need, you don't need to, to make a big splash. You just need to live out your faith. Here's an idea. What do you do with four guys who have an idea one morning that their paralyzed friend needs to go see Jesus? So they get together and they go pick him up and they take him to go see Jesus. And this guy's life is changed forever. What do you do with those people? You see, it's not the big splashes. It's the gentle, con continual commitment to faith. History is riddled with simple individuals and groups of people who simply had a passion for change and sought to start in their own lives and birth movements. Remember, the Christian's path to change our culture does not lie in personal, formidable character. Can you name to me any of the paralytic's friends? Neither can I, because they're not listed in Scripture. But they changed culture. They were a part of changing culture. Like John the Baptist, they knew they weren't the light. They reflected the light, and that's what we do today. 
This is the commission that Jesus gives you and me as a part of the church. Jesus prayed in John 17, right before he went to be crucified. This is called his high priestly prayer. You know who he prayed for? He prayed for his disciples, and you know who else he prayed for? If you don't know about this, you should read John 17, because Jesus prayed for you and me. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. He's talking about the church. I don't ask that you take them out of the world. You ever wonder why you, why you decide to follow Jesus and you don't just go straight up to heaven? You know, one-way ticket, get right to heaven. It's because Jesus prayed that you wouldn't do that. Jesus said, I'm praying. Don't take them out of the world. Leave them here. Why? Because I need culture changers. I need people who will live out the gospel that never changes on the rock, won't move, so that other people can hear about me and they will not ask, what is truth? So Jesus prays for us and he says, Father, I pray that you don't take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, the prowling, roaring lion. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in the what, church? Sanctify them in the truth. You need a regular dose of truth in a world of regular lies. So come to church. If you walk out of here and you think to yourself, oh, that was, I really needed that, it's because it's truth and you regularly hear lies. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I am sending them into the world. God is at work in his church to continually influencing a changing culture to reflect the truth of Jesus Christ. I like this definition. Many, many of the other definitions on culture. Here's my favorite one. It was said by Thomas Carlyle. And it goes like this. Culture is the process by which a person becomes all that they were created capable of becoming. You want to know how to change culture? Start here. Not here. Start with you. And watch what God can do. Don't be fearful of your culture. Be bold. Be bold enough to seek to change it. You may not, you may not be liked. You may be misunderstood. <laughs> but remember, you are on the winning side. You are telling the truth among the people who think they know the truth, but they don't. In 1 John 4, it says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for greater is he that is in you than he that is in the what, church? Yeah. You have the power of God at your disposal. They are from the world, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them, but we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you come to church and you're going, I love this, it might be because you're of the truth, you know? But for some people, this would be greatly offensive because they like living in a culture that tells them what to think. And one day God will change culture and forever Jesus Christ will reign and that's the truth. So, church, if you've heard today that you, that we, our church, is in this whole thing because we believe we can change the world, you have heard correctly. We are in this because we think the gospel still has the power to change lives and it has more power than the world has to tell us lies. Culture changing truth is found in Jesus and his gospel. It has in the past, it will in the future, and it can in our generation. So let's be bold enough to stand in our belief that Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection 
have the power to forgive sins, insert truth, and tell us what life should be and really is all about. Let's pray. So this was fun. This was fun for me to do this one, Father, because you know I, I like to analyze culture and although it makes me extremely frustrated at times, you know, it is a good reminder to me, Father, that you are still in control and the gospel still has power. And Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection is foolishness to some, but to those who believe, it is the power of God. Your wisdom is greater than our, your foolishness is greater than our wisdom and your weakness greater than our strength. And so, Father, I am so thrilled that I get to not only serve in a church that believes this, but boldly proclaims it and operates under the assumption that we can change culture. Help us to do it with love and grace, patience and mercy. Let us do it like you did. We can't heal people, but we believe we have the power of God at our disposal. And so, Father, let us live like it. Let us have a faith that moves mountains. Let us cling to the gospel. Let us be a church that is unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, unashamed of the cross, unashamed of our faith. It doesn't escape me that there are Democrats and Republicans listening to this message even now, even in this room. Erase from our minds the divisions that are created by political boundaries and help us to operate as if we had something deeper than a silly political agenda. Help us to operate from a moral ground that is built on the gospel of Jesus and the truth of your word. Let us value what you value and love what you love and live like you live. Let us be your hands and your feet in Carol's stream and may they know we are here. I pray in Jesus' name.